The Last Word with Matt Cooper. For the week trending, Ben Finnegan has come into us in between doing the 5 of 5 and the 6 of 6 that he'll be doing later. And Sarah McGuinness, assistant news editor at the Business Post, is with us as well. And we're going to be talking about Taylor Swift tickets in a little while, Nigel Farage's bank accounts, Ford stopping production on the Fiesta today, and all some of the stuff that's going on in relation to RTE. Actually, when it comes to the Fiesta, uh, Ben, do we know, has uh, Marty Morrissey ever had a Fiesta to drive? I don't know that, no, but uh, I do know that my mother told me earlier today that she had one back in, uh, it was 1986, and uh, my colleague in the newsroom, Eamon Torsney, says that he's had a car since 1989, every single one of them has been a Ford Fiesta. <laughs> Fair play to him. Yeah, I presume a series of different cars, not the same one all Yeah, the it's time. a series of different cars, but he's brand loyal to the Fiesta, so I don't know what he's going to do in a few years when he needs a new car. Okay. That is actually extraordinary to do the same type of car the whole way through. Mm. But now that you mention it, I have another friend who I think may have done exactly the same, who works in journalism as well. Do you even know what a Fiesta is, Sarah? No, what is No, I do know what a Fiesta is. I actually find them adorable. I think the earlier models are really cute looking. It's quite a sad day. Now, it was like the earlier models. I'm not sure whether it was the people who were able to drive them or the cars themselves, but they never seem to be able to get out of second gear. You just hear them like in high high revs going through the town. Um, but that might have been down to the people who were driving them. Part of the charm. And what about the Renaults and the BMW? See, this clarification today on Marty Morrissey from a BMW dealership, which is saying that he was never actually a brand ambassador for BMW, despite appearing in photographs with a car in 2016. It seems he has been very loyal to Renault over recent years, Sarah. <laughs> and just before he came on air, The Independent reported that BMW took down a post from, I think, two years ago, um, advertising him as a brand ambassador. So, yeah, a bit... A bit Bit wishy washy there, but no, he's he seems to be a Renault man and a Renault man only. I really think the the Marty Morrissey stuff is a side point from the entire RT scandal. I think, like in the the questioning with on uh, what was it Tuesday? By it's hard Judy. to remember, isn't oh, it? Look, it's like a fever dream. I'm dreaming in Oroctus Committee right now. <laughs> um, like when Timmy Dooley was asking Adrian Lynch about this, um, he, he never even asked about an employee who had the loan of a car. He was asking about has anyone ever had um, a car or. or doesn't drive and claims the car allowance. Adrian Lynch didn't answer that. He instead hung an employee mm. out to dry saying, oh, somebody uh, loaned back the car yesterday. Now, it does seem that Marty Morrissey was that employee, but he didn't uh, hand it back yesterday. So Adrian Lynch, again, had his facts wrong, but looked very smug about the fact that he was able to tell the committee that it was yesterday when, in fact, it was two weeks beforehand. But it was an issue that was extraneous to RT, wasn't it? I know you could say it's a separate commercial arrangement that Marty Morrissey entered into to do gigs outside of RT and instead of getting paid money, he got paid a car instead. Yeah, like the way he's proposed... Or use of a car, sorry. The way he's proposed it is that as GAA correspondent with the GAA, with RT, it only made sense that he would be the one to interview GAA players, high-profile players for Renault. It, it ties in with his job, but was a completely separate agreement, an ad hoc agreement at that. Um, there's a bit of contradiction in whether Orti agreed to it or not. Um, Adrian Lynch said that they hadn't. He said that 
or to he had signed off on it. So again, we still don't really know, but I do take Ben's point of it's a bit separate to the matter. Well, indeed, it's far less serious than, for example, all of the investigation that has been ongoing for quite a while, for example, by the revenue into the self-employment contracts for many, many people at RTE uh, working at all sorts of lower grades. And RTE still aren't being fully transparent with how those investigations are ongoing. It was um, Richard Collins during the week again who refused to give um, an expected or thought out liability for those bogus self-employment claims because they could take years to settle. Um, so we still don't know if RTE is budgeting for those claims or what is the long-term plan with the uh, claims of bogus self-employment with revenue. But the fact that it was a state company that was actually doing this as well, does that make it more serious? And and those empl- those employees who are affected by it, they are losing out on pension contributions, which would be one of the more frustrating things if I was a victim of it anyway. And it seems as well, I suppose it might be on somewhat lighter side, but not necessarily. Uh, we see that if somebody was prepared to spend a lot of money on flip-flops. That was brilliant. That was, <laughs> no, the act itself wasn't brilliant, but that coming out was, I think it was a nice moment for everyone to chuckle at the whole story but yeah an absolute disgrace and you know tickets to Westlife tickets to Bruce Springsteen tickets to Amy Schumer and then there's a whole heap of transactions that had no description at all so yeah pretty damning evidence um, from two more barter accounts and a real slap in the face honestly to people particularly those like the whole kind of use of a very high like high profile and very expensive club in London has been kind of brought up a lot. And I think those in London working for T have been quite offended by the whole thing because their office was shut down. They were all working from home. They had nowhere to go, nowhere to be like with their colleagues while the kind of higher ups were meeting in this extremely high profile and exclusive club. Like I've seen some people, particularly with the, the, the Soho membership, people have kind of raised the point that in the grand scheme of things, they were used for... Um, for clients who are going to be spending advertising money and in the grand scheme of Ortiz's budget it was a small sum of money but the point is they closed down the London office uh, I think it was Fiona Mitchell who was London correspondent at the time saying that she had to do live reports from a toilet in a cafe which you know working in radio working as a reporter you have to file in weird places not doing a live report from a toilet when uh, you don't have an office available to you, while uh, if you worked for marketing or for sales, you have access to this exclusive club. But Neve Smith was even on the 6-1 during the week, um, the chair of the media committee, saying that RT staff were working off ironing boards, the ones at home in Dublin, at the Montrose campus, like... It's just insane. And at the time, they were kind of tweeting these quirky uh, oh, uh, today's office, and yeah, the entire Ireland is coming from a, an ironing board. Yeah, no, it's like it's absolutely horrendous. And even Paul Cunningham's kind of anecdote of he, him leaving at Leinster House and bumping into an, a fellow like employee of RTE and then bursting into tears and saying, "Oh my God, what have they done?" I can only imagine how harrowing it is to be sitting at home, like feeling. It's just insulting. That's the only word to describe it. There is a few accounts of, um, I don't know, is it the same RT employee or different RT employees who burst into tears <laughs> questioning what have they done? I'd be bursting into tears, though. 
Uh, Leaf Marty alone says, Dan, you know he's our god of sport and we deserve the loan of a Ferrari. Never mind a modest Renault. Enough, says Dan. But there is, Tony and Shannon said, and 159 people in court today in relation to TV licences. You started the five of five with this, Ben, because this is going to be a major issue, isn't it, for the future financing yeah. of RTE. There are reports that there is a limit of the amount they can borrow at 100 million euro, that they're at 95 million, so they're close to breaching the limit, at a time when already they were facing significant licence fee evasion, when the commercial revenues could be affected by all of this scandal. So what's the potential, do you think, for a lot of people saying, well, mass strike when it comes to paying well, like, license fees. Like it's it's the only it's the reason why this has entered the zeitgeist and everyone cares so much about this story because every year you're expected to pay 160 euro to fund RTE. If it was to fund other media organizations like this one, people may have uh, less of a leg to stand on by not paying it, but certainly with the RTE debacle such to the fore. Like I go back to uh, last week uh, Michael Carragy the senator who's a postmaster, he claims that somebody came into the post office and they said that they weren't going to be paying the TV licence, but if they were, did they revolute Ryan or Renault? And that's the attitude of people now. But the judge today, like, describing elitism, godlike personalities and freeloaders in RTE while people on the street are crippled with the cost of living. But yes, Sarah, what was notable was he didn't leave these people off. No. He just gave them more time because they do, under the law, still have to pay the licence. And that was his exact point, his exact words were, the law is the law. Um, And I understand that to a degree, but it really just signals to the fact that the reformation of the TV license needs to be examined more, like quicker than ever. And it was reported last week in the, I can't even remember what day now, but that the whole, um, the whole process of looking at the TV license system again is just going to be delayed because of all this, like this big hullabaloo, which just makes it even worse. But even, you know, there was a... Sorry, Sarah, they weren't reforming the TV license anyway. They've been talking about that for over a decade at this Uh, stage. And this idea, oh, well, we're going to have to put a halt to it now when they had been doing nothing and we're going to do nothing. That's a hot take, man. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there was the talk of, or I think it was Dee Forbes' suggestion that revenue should collect it and it should come straight out of people's wages. The Broadcasting Authority of Ireland were suggesting something similar. Well, uh, Commission Naman is going to take over the reins of the Broadcasting Authority in the next year and it'll be interesting where they take the entirety of the situation. Do you think will we ever get to the bottom of why it costs so much money to put on Toy Show the Musical? I hope so. Oh my God, what a saga. Um, But no, another absolutely bonkers revelation to come out of Wednesday and listening to it live and hearing Toy Show the Musical being referred to as a creative and commercial risk, like you really, you just have to laugh. But similar, and I know you touched on this at the top um, of this item about Taylor Swift giving away uh, Taylor Swift tickets going mad for them. It's just, it's so reminiscent of her coming here in 2018, they had to give away. Well, they didn't have to give away, but they did end up giving away half of the toy show tickets sold. They gave away like 10 grand of them. Oh, 20 grand. There were 20,000 people attended the thing. Out of a capacity over the run of 90,000. Oh, yeah. Uh, And people actually in touch again, reminding us this week about how people travelled to it from around yes. the country and we're sitting in the auditorium to be told actually it's off. I heard uh, Alan Hughes yesterday on RTE Alan Hughes has from Virgin Media 
television and he runs a production company for 25 years. He said that if you offered him for the panto this year 84% capacity, which was Orti's expectation, he'd bite your hand off, saying that it takes a long time for people to build up the, the brand awareness and to build a show from scratch to expect but, to get 84% but then capacity. then they're not really building a show from scratch because when you think about the grow that the nation has for the toy show, like, it is it is a wonder it a, that it, it didn't it, it, take off, though. But the toy show, everyone looked at the toy show and the amount of money that they spent on advertising. I mean, 300, over 300,000, an overspend of 180,000. Like, it was everywhere. It was a brand itself, it I think, before the show. But it wasn't the toy show. That's true. And to be fair, and Ryan Tuberty... I have no Tuberty, idea what it was. I don't think anyone knows what it yeah. was. But, and the it fact, was a musical. I, it was a musical about a family watching the toy show, maybe? It was nothing to do with the toy show. Ryan Tuberty had nothing to do with it. As Rory Coveney said during the week, he had no interest in it. Paul Hard once did Anglo the musical. Maybe Paul Hard could now do a musical about Toy Show the musical. <laughs> and maybe they could get money back. Although friends of mine also suggested this week to me, Sarah, that maybe GA Go should be given the exclusive rights to Ryan Tuberty and Noel Kelly's appearance in front of the Eructus committees this Tuesday. And that you'd sell enough tickets to actually cover the costs of a Toy Show the musical. Oh, and the subscription, the yearly subscription to that would only be half your TV licence fee. Woo! Um, <laughs> Yeah, dear Lord, I, I, I think the uh, actually when I logged on on Wednesday to watch the media com- committee meeting for the first four minutes, I couldn't get in. The website crashed. I felt like I was not to keep bringing up Taylor Swift, but I felt like I was logging on to Ticketmaster next week to kind of queue up for her tickets. Like I, the swarm of people. I've heard a lot of suggestions that the the viewership for the committees on Tuesday will be akin to the viewership in recent years of the Late Late Show. It might even be bigger. We'll be back to talk about Taylor Swift and Nigel Farage and Garda patrols at the Matter Hospital in the week trending with Ben Finnegan and Sarah McGuinness after we've had this break. Okay, Ben Finnegan and Sarah McGuinness are with us for the week trending. Um, Sarah, is just a statement have come out from Orison Neutron about President Michael D. Higgins? You might just briefly tell us what's in it, please. Yeah, so basically Michael D. Higgins is due to undergo an elective medical procedure to relieve back pain um, so it will be next Tuesday, the 11th of July. He is going to continue to carry out his constitutional duties, including consideration of legislation from an, uh, from Orison Uchtaron and from his home in Galway. So he'll still be around, but apparently he's going to be um, out and about less for the remainder of the summer while he um, prepares speeches for autumn engagements and basically does a short rehabilitation programme. Ben, I can't remember a president ever informing people of something like that previously. Maybe I just missed it. It does raise question, who stands in for the president when the president is incapacitated? Or if incapacitated. It doesn't sound like he's going to be sedated or anything like that from this um, this statement. But certainly in the US, it would be a big thing that you'd have the designated survivor and all that. Yeah, but hang on, there's a different role for the president <laughs> in the US. Well, a president is a president. You know, they're the head of state. They have to carry out their duties regardless. It is com- It is in the summer period, which over the last two years, Michael D. Higgins has complained about the amount of legislation he's been given by the government so late to sign. So, you know, maybe this is... 
Is the is the timing? Um, do do we read into the timing of this? Given the last two summers, he was very busy. Ah, don't be reading into it. I know it's it's elective surgery, and if you've a bad back, you've got to get it sorted out. Listen, Sarah McGuinness, tell us how'd you go about getting Taylor Swift tickets for one of our now three concerts in the Aviva and Lansdowne Road next year? As Ben said, you don't really. Cause it seems no one is getting them. But hang on, there has to be fifty thousand yeah. people a night. Yeah, so there has to be one hundred and fifty thousand. So why is it that nobody seems to know anyone who's confident to getting a ticket? You see, I this is actually I was wondering this during the week, and I'm wondering if a lot of people in the UK, so seven point eight million people in the UK. I'm not sure if that is including Irish figures. Um, well, they're not in the UK. Seventy seven point eight million people registered for her UK dates. Mental. Yeah, it's insane. That's how, and, like, and as Sarah, as you said earlier, you couldn't give away the tickets five years you ago. You couldn't give away you, the tickets five years ago. Well, as I, I said, even went to two of my kids and <laughs> well, gave me the tickets. I'll tell you, I went. And there's nothing to be declared for. <laughs> <laughs> I went too. And when I got to Drumcondra, I lost my ticket. And by the time I got to the Hogan stand, I got another free ticket. <laughs> no so way. where were all these people in 2018? Oh, I cannot understand this popularity bonkers. because even though Croke Park was all free and she said oh thank you for coming and we were like yeah we, we came because it was free yeah, and you it were was, far more excited about Garth Brooks but it was still it, there was still empty seats there were still empty was, seats but, but anyway, anyway 7.8 million people so that will probably this is UK I don't know if Ireland is intact for that but basically loads of people from surrounding countries like the amount of people I know who have registered not only for Dublin dates but London Edinburgh like Leon anywhere in Europe basically they will travel to see Taylor um, so I'm one, apparently now how Ticketmaster has been working it they're supposed to give people preference in their domestic country so a load of people basically apply to receive a code to try and buy a ticket it's like the Hunger Games yeah but of lots concerts. of people that I've been talking to didn't get a code this no, week most people didn't get a code so I don't know uh, my, inter- my understanding of it was that they would give a code with a purchase link to more people so there would still be a bit of competition to get a ticket but I that doesn't really seem to be the case because I don't know anyone who actually did get a code um, I know people who have gotten codes for, tic- for to go see her abroad so that's why I'm wondering maybe the Irish were just kind of too late to get codes for her like Dublin dates I don't really know it does seem like a convoluted system and certainly the the drawn out like she announced these dates a month ago oh. and they were supposed to be on sale on July 13th that's been pushed back to July 20th just get it over and done with like but she's not coming till next year and people are already complaining about the hotel prices but, e- but even July 20th is going to be drawn out again because there's three dates she's releasing them in two hour increments yeah. so you have to get up at 11 you have to try and get a ticket for the first date then if you don't get that you try again at one. If you don't get that, you try again at three. Some people are going to be spending four hours trying to get Taylor Swift tickets online. Somebody has sent in a text which can't possibly be true but it says that RT Corporate Hospitality has booked up all the tickets already. Yeah, that's a joke. It's a joke, Ben. I <laughs> that's think that's a joke. A joke. I was going to say, I'll wait for the free tickets, thanks. <laughs> okay, tell me about Nigel Farage and his bank accounts because he tried to, I think Sarah, promote a bit of a conspiracy theory that he has been punished but it turns out for his political opinions and views but it turns out there was a rather more prosaic reason why an exclusive bank in the UK didn't want him as a customer Yeah he's just not rich enough Rats! Anyway, um, <laughs> basically Nigel Farage, uh, Nigel Farage um, 
was with this prestigious private bank that is a firm favourite among the royal family. It's been around since the 1700s. Oh, I didn't. I didn't know that's the name of it, but it, it, it must be well known. But anyway, of Lloyd's, I believe. Yeah, not West. Oh. it's been around for hundreds of years. Um, but anyway, you need one million pounds in investment, so a mortgage or some form of investment to, in order. That's oh, the like minimum threshold. You need a million in cash, really? Yeah. Or three? Yeah, okay. Or three which million just shows in savings. You which sort of whatever Nigel Farage gets his money from. There's a lot of money sloshing around, but not enough. But then, yeah. speaking in France to the BBC, he said. Um, in in rebuttal to the, the whole, well, you didn't meet the criteria. He said, well, they didn't have a problem with it for a decade. So how much money does Nigel Farage have or claim not More to have? More interestingly, where does it come from? Mm. Not just his European Parliament pension or his TV money, I'd suggest. Um, yeah, well, anyway, he, he took... <laughs> just leave that one to you, Matt. <laughs> yeah, leave that one hang. Um, he, um, anyway, he basically threw a six-minute pity party about it on Twitter and he said that as, because he was designated as a politically exposed person so this is like a status giving to political representatives and their family members basically to so that their accounts are monitored with a bit more diligence by financial institutions um, he was ba- that because his designation of that it was a bit he was being discriminated against, discriminated against and his appearances on um he also referred back to sorry um conspiracies that because he appeared on Russia today um, he received payments from Russia worth about five hundred thousand um, pounds, and that's why he's been kicked out of the bank. Um, and some MPs have kind of come out behind him and saying it's unacceptable that people should be allowed to do what they want and store their money wherever they want. Um, and others are coming out saying the opposite. So yeah, big old row about it. Okay, in relation to Taylor Swift tickets, one listener says, sounds to me you have a better chance of a golden ticket by buying a Wonka bar. But there are people who have uh, got the emails with the link. Uh, one listener here says that uh, her daughter got an email with the link to buy tickets next week, so I presume she'll get the tickets, but says, I'm on the wait list. What um, was the code, by any chance? <laughs> there. It's probably a QR code, in fairness. Uh, Tell us about police or Garda patrols at the Matter Hospital, Ben. Yeah, Garda are going to be carrying out more regular patrols around the Matter in Dublin due to what they call a dramatic spike in antisocial behaviour. Now, at a the, hospital. Well, the INMO has been saying for a long time that um, it's the people it represents are under more and more attack by um, aggressive uh, pa- patients and all that. Um, but the Matter is based around North Inner City Dublin, which has been highlighted in certain TV documentaries and that. for And even this week on Twitter, there's a debate about whether Dublin is safe or not. Um, so, Well, particularly the O'Connell Street area. Exactly. So, you know, Gardaí patrolling a hospital, again, it's very American. Like they're not going to be going around with guns, but if there is an increase in antisocial behaviour, why shouldn't Gardaí be walking around the hospital? But you just expect in a hospital that people would be a bit more respectful towards each other, that particularly when doctors and nurses are giving help for people who are sick or injured, that the last thing, and I know what Ben says here is correct, that the INMO has been saying this for ages, uh, having to deal with people who are drunk or on drugs or whatever and stuff, but now haven't it been the guardian? Yeah, like you would expect that, you know, a hospital is just kind of like a church or something, like a sacred place where, you know, you don't 
go around acting the maggot. But um, yeah, no, it, it clearly isn't because they're there. And um, an independent councillor, Kieran Perry, says that he regularly hears about high levels of antisocial behaviour in the Matters Emergency Department. Um, he said that security guards there are, base, are regularly racially abused. And he anecdotally told an in, about an incident how a patient had been waiting to be seen by a doctor and a patient had to intervene when a member of staff a member of the security staff was on the receiving end of vile slurs. But like, there's, there's also, over the past three years, there's been allowed to be an anti-medical and anti-science rhetoric fester, which probably adds to the problem too and probably would come under the, the bracket of anti-social behaviour. We'll leave it there. Ben, come back to us for the six at six, please, in just 12 minutes' time. And Great. Sarah McGuinness from the Business Post, thank you very much for being with us. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.